0: Hello and welcome to Kinship Connects. We invite you to join us as we share our stories and our journeys. This is a podcast from SDA Kinship and my name is Floyd Punitz. And today it's my uh, privilege to speak with Jordan Letty. Hi, Jordan. Hi,
1: pleasure to be here. I'm very
0: excited. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, to talking with you and hearing your story and uh, see where we go with that. So first of all, I, I've said your name already, but uh, if you want to introduce yourself, tell us where you currently live, what you're doing, just a little bit about present day Jordan.
1: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm Jordan Letty. I live in Southern California. I came out here for Loma Linda and um, just really kind of stuck around. Um, I work as an associate professional clinical counselor, so like therapy counseling, Um working towards licensure should come soon um, so I can just work on my own. Um, but yeah, I I do that in the, in the meantime, I'm very interested in working uh, eventually like with LGBT specific um, like therapy issues. Um, I've already had the opportunity at different workplaces to kind of like hop in on the diversity day trainings um, just to like help clinicians uh, reach out to um, like better work with the LGBTQ population. Um, and that's like slowly channeled into, um, you know, being able to talk to churches, um, in different ways, um, which is just really exciting for me. I, I still identify as an Adventist, although some would say I'm a bad Adventist, um, but it's, uh, Seventh-day Adventism is my culture and I grew up in the church. I grew up in Seventh-day Adventist schooling only all the way through the Melinda through master's program, um, largely in part because I am a pastor's kid, um, and I identify as a cis male who identifies as gay, um, wow. so that was an interesting uh, turn of of uh, childhood there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow, that was that was uh, quite an introduction there. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. So you graduated from Loma Linda, yes, and got your degree from there. Liked Loma Linda enough that you decided you wanted to stay there at least for a while.
1: Yeah, right. and it. I mean, that was it was interesting because. Um, you know, we, my dad's a church planter for the Seventh-day Adventist church. So he, his job is to go in to where there's not a Seventh-day Adventist church and put something like ground roots up uh, and build that up. And then when it's like ready to become more permanent without his, uh, you know, eye, he goes and moves somewhere else. So as kids, we were moving around a lot more. We were doing a lot more Midwest area churches. And then right around fifth grade for me, we moved to, um, the Western Washington conference and they decided let's just like stick around here until our kids get through high school. So at least they can kind of have more stability in the schools that they go to. Um, and he started a church there called 24 seven ministry center, which is designed to reach out to the unchurched population. Cause at least at the time that Washington state had the largest unchurched meaning people that have left the church population mm-hmm. in the United States. Um, so that I think uh, also informs like my background and understanding of Seventh-day Adventists as well in a way that maybe other um, gay Christians and gay Seventh-day Adventists don't have. Um, is yeah, I attended to a church that was designed to kind of like take a step back from the rigidity, the rules, the traditions, and really just look at people um, and God's love specifically. Um, so that, that happened. And then when I came to uh, Loma Linda University, um, that was when all my siblings were in college, My parents decided to move away so now they live on the East Coast and I did not grow up on the East Coast. West Coast is the best coast. Uh, I plan to stay here but very interestingly like not just my family, my parents, my siblings, but um, also almost all my friends except for uh, some very close friends that still live in Washington. Um, almost everybody has moved away and then a lot of them from when I went to Union College and even when I was lived in Washington live in Southern California now due to like Loma Linda, La Sierra area uh, kind of uh, issue so I, a lot of my friends live here so I actually know more people here <laughs> than I do in oh. Washington. Um, And then, yeah, like my biological family, they all live in Maryland right now with the general conference.
0: Okay, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. So you're definitely at home there. So let me let me bounce back a few years to when Jordan was small, a kid, uh, growing up you said that was in the Midwest is where you grew up kind of, or when the, your, your first few years. I would
1: say definitely I'm more of a, I would say Seattle is my culture as far as like, okay. I guess like being raised on like a West coast thing. When yeah. was, okay. Like when I'm discovering identity, uh-huh. uh, cause I was like 10 when I moved away from like the Midwest, but my earliest years was the Midwest. The Midwest.
0: Um, okay. So what was it like before we get into, uh, a little more controversial things what was it like growing up as a preacher's kid or what we sometimes label pk uh i mean were there challenges uh i'm assuming that you know there's several generations of adventists there or were oh there yeah like second generation
1: <laughs> um yeah so actually yeah my on my mom's side i am a sixth generation seventh sixth? Day Adventist. wow yes
0: okay um
1: so i mean if you're counting like maybe grandma grandpa parents and kids may have converted around the same time but they actually like they had gone to my great grandmother when she was real tiny had they had gone to some Ellen White like camp meeting um so i don't know how much that counts as like first generation or not but sure. i count six because my kids will be seven someday and that's seventh uh-huh. generation so and I'm, I'm waiting for it so that's
0: the that's the perfect generation then
1: yeah seven. yeah we're that's that's the one where you know all the laws and prophecies will be fulfilled um i don't know i'm just kidding
0: good but
1: good. <laughs> um yeah so that came from my mom's side my dad's side his um he's first generation i guess like he converted to seventh day Adventism. um my grandmother on his side was very interested in world religions and really wanted her kids to choose their, their religion which church they went to when she was growing up her parents had done similar you know go to whatever church you go to just come back and tell us what you learned so we know you went um and she liked that so she did that with my parents my dad uh And his brother decided the Seventh-day Adventist church in their area was the one because they had the best youth group. And that meant they had the biggest dating pool. And apparently at some point, my dad and my uncle had dated all these girls. And my mom, my dad just thought was out of his league, came up to him and said, well, how come you haven't called me yet? And the rest was history um, to this day. Fully married, uh, fully in love. Uh, amazing. Wow,
0: Nice. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Did you have siblings growing up? Yeah, so I'm the oldest of uh, three. So I have a of three. Yeah, I have a
1: younger sister and the younger brother. We're all two
0: years apart. Okay, so that kind of blows the theory of the younger one being... Yeah. yeah, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. get into that. More. <laughs> but, uh, okay, okay. So you're the oldest. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. So yeah, what were some of the challenges? Or was it a really fun being a, a preacher's kid? Yeah, um, you, you know, by I, with a whole lot? Or did you get uh, feel like you didn't get by with doing a whole lot?
1: Yeah, I had just talked to my mom about this a little bit, too. Because I know that not, you know, not every preacher's kid has gone through the exact same things. um there's a lot of like the theories like the preacher's kids are either like they're the way to sheltered goody two-shoes or that they're like the worst ones um there is quite a few of us uh that you know kind of felt in the middle somehow um you know so i mean that just means everybody's experience is a little different so mine was really cool in that sense um I know that uh, my dad, he went to you know uh, Union College, became a pastor when I think we moved there when, we were, when I was like three years old. Um, he became a pastor, started doing pastoring, church planting and things. And up until I was about 12, uh, he, he, the way he described it to me, at least at one point, was that he felt that need to kind of like, um, you know, try to make sure that he's on, I guess, more of that conservative belief style side. So we were the full like vegetarian um like you know like making sure everything was like just so um kind of way like jewelry was never going to be a problem in our family because that was just out the door all that kind of thing um like the biggest controversy is my mom likes dr pepper and that had caffeine in it so uh (laughs) and so she'd be like don't tell the kids at school i drink that you know um but but it has doctor in the title so it's a medicinal drink Hey, there you go. Maybe, maybe it's a Loma Melinda doctor too, <laughs> but yeah. So, uh, yeah, growing up, it was, there was a lot of that, like, you know, okay, we don't do that on the Sabbath and we don't even do that Friday night. Like, you know, we would count down the minutes to the sunset. Um, I think a lot of pastors kids get like pressured to be like a representative. Um, and I was just talking to my mom about that. Like she was like really careful for it. So my mom's whole spiel with marrying my dad, that's kind of funny is when he asked her to marry him, she said as long as you're not a pastor not yes not no as long as you don't become a pastor and she wow. has said that specifically because her grandfather who was a pastor said that one day she would make a great pastor's wife and she just always wanted to rebel against that idea uh-huh. um so that's why she was like just so long as we're cool here um so i think for that perspective she didn't want like, you know, that pressure that the pastor's wife kind of gets, even if they don't want to, they kind of fill in gaps, even if they're not on certain committees, like it's like a calling them to fill in, um, she didn't really want to put that on us. Some other pastor's kids, it was like a lot of pressure. Do you like special music, things like that? So she kind of kept the pressure off on us. But mm-hmm. when I was about 12, um, during this time at 24-7, reaching out to the end church, my dad was getting a lot more like people that were like, we'd like to take the pastor's family out to a special treat lunch after church at a restaurant, which is a big Ooh. deal for us Adventists um, yeah. in many circles. And so his thing was like, okay, well, they're offering and the whole point is to like not turn people off based off of like the small rules. Let's build it up. Um, So he would like start saying yes to those things. And then he kind of, it literally, to me, it was like night and day switch. One day I came home and my dad's sitting in the living room and he's eating chicken wings. And I had just moved to Seattle. Like, so I had seen more vegetarian food than I'd ever seen because Seattle's very health conscious. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, wow, what are those? And he's like, they're called Buffalo wings. And I'm like, no way. That's so crazy. Can I have somebody's like, yeah, they're in the fridge. And I'm like, that's so that's incredible. How'd they get those uh, fake bones in there? And he's like, well, they're real bones. And I'm like putting them in the microwave and I'm like, why would they put real chicken bones into vegetarian chicken? And he's just like, because it's real. And I'm 12, mind you. And I just, like mind blown. I was like, oh my gosh, what, what is going to happen? And and he found me in the corner crying because my whole world had been shattered. I was very uh-huh. black and white. It was this or that. Um, and that was like the beginning of a moment where my parents had this new idea for uh, parenting to like, let us make choices um and like you know they say small rebellions so that big rebellions don't seem as appealing later on um so they did give us a little more uh leeway to like explore things if we want to i was definitely more of the like oh no you're not going to trick me into piercing my ears as a boy like you know versus my brother's like heck yeah day one pierced ears (laughs) like (laughs) um, he was the wild one um so we did have a little bit of that but i do think they're There were pressures growing up to be uh, a certain type of way as pastor's kid Uh, in the Seventh-day Adventist schools, especially. I think the teachers had expectations of us, you know, um, that we'd just be better at Bible class or that we'd be better behaved. Um, There was, of course, an easier connection between, uh, you know, the Seventh-day Adventist teachers and the Seventh-day Adventist pastors having hit the same meetings and same bosses in some ways that they were more able to reach out and say, hey, guess what your kid was doing in class than possibly some of the other parents in my perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which I think did happen to like friends of mine. Cause I think there's like five pastor's kids in, in our classes in uh, our elementary school um, together. <laughs> and so we had similar backgrounds that way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there was pressure that we had to lead by example. And in a way um, it's, it's really interesting uh, because I think that, it is a special uh, calling, you know, when you're, you're in a special position as a pastor's child, um, you know, as part of the church family in a different way than maybe other kids are. But at the same time, it, it doesn't mean that like we chose that either. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, like it's like, right. OK, so what do we do with um, that is actually um, recently I've been at called and like, you know, worked there saw some things. And what actually inspired me the most, and I could talk more in another episode is I actually was interested in doing uh, like a researching. I don't know. I have to do qualitative at this point. I don't have quantitative studies on pastors kids, but I'd love to do a panel on, pastor's kids uh, like what can we do to help support them uh, what sh- what expectations should we have uh, because i do like hear lots of different stories of different perspectives of this and, and the reality is like there's a strange expectation that either a pastor's kid grows up to become a pastor themselves or an expectation that a pastor's kid grows up to be i don't know like a like a burnout uh, you know kind of Living on the edge of society, total atheist, total opposite, and and so somewhere there could be something to learn and something that we need to, I guess, like foster in our, our pastors' children as well, um, mm-hmm. to kind of find those gifts that they have and to find their strengths and to not overburden them, you know, at such young ages.
0: Yeah, no, I think that would be a very worthwhile project and uh yeah discussion to be had i, I want to go back though did you eat those chicken wings
1: um i did not eat those chicken wings um i went through a, a long time to kind of come around uh, to it <laughs> to eating meat um and even still i i don't like to eat pork or shrimp um even though i've tried them i'm a bad ventist, i guess uh, I, there's something that is just like, eh, you know, but I'm much more of a, like a chicken or a fish fan. Um, yeah.
0: if I it's do go being that curious, line. not necessarily being bad, just curious. Yeah. That's so that, that's okay. So what's your favorite <laughs> veggie food?
1: Um, that is something beautiful. I tell everybody. I, I I am proud that I was raised vegetarian because I was very annoyed, especially in the Seventh Avenue schools where they only served vegetarian. Of the kids that were raised uh, not vegetarian, right? So eating meat, and they would be like, Ew, "This is so gross." And like to me, I'm like, "Dinner roast, this is amazing." Like, oh, it's rubber. And I'm like, "This tastes good though. You don't understand." <laughs> um, and so I I do appreciate that I can really enjoy the best of both worlds. That way, I don't feel like my meal if I eat at a vegetarian person's house that is like missing something. Um, or somebody who's vegan. I have explored that as well. Like I don't, I don't like turn my head to it. To me, it's just another food group in a way. And I think that, I think where we've failed some people trying to convince them is like when the person who's been a vegetarian for almost their entire life starts saying, it tastes just like Turkey, man, you're going to love it. And it's like, well, if you're thinking this is supposed to taste like this and it doesn't, maybe your brain goes to, then it must be rotten or it must be gross um, because it doesn't taste like my expectation. And I think biologically we're, built to like if the, if milk doesn't smell like milk then something's wrong and if yeah. if, I, if a hot dog doesn't taste like a hot dog then something's wrong right so yeah, yeah. um you just kind of have to have different expectations going in
0: yeah yeah cool so worthington or uh or wh- wh- which is your favorite brand Oh shoot, favorite brand, man. I'm putting it uh, on the spot here.
1: Well, and then which is the one that I mean, here in Loma Fried Linda? Or
0: is it Chick Chicken, whatever the other <laughs> one is, or, or whatever? <laughs> there's Isn't there one
1: that's like here in Loma Linda? They actually like the brand name says Loma Linda, but other than right? It Loma, Loma Linda
0: and Worthington are the two. Okay. Uh, yeah. So ones.
1: I know my grandpa, he made the, he made the, um, what were they there it wasn't fried chick it was those little like chicken tender kind of little yeah, tenders yeah. Uh-huh. um and he would he would you know basically put you know dip them in the egg and dip them in the breadcrumbs and that was nice. my favorite of all time growing up uh, nice. <laughs> grandpa's cool. house if we didn't have that we didn't really go to grandpa's house
0: yeah yeah that was the whole reason <laughs> for going
1: huh <laughs> yeah then he had the baby pickles and we love that too
0: <laughs> nice. nice cool 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 so Yeah, so it sounds like you weren't the super rebellious one. You kind of uh, were the middle of the road.
1: Oh, I was a scaredy cat for sure. Um, As a kid, I was shy. Uh, I was introverted. Um, I would still say I'm an introvert, just a social one now. Um, My parents are the most extroverted social people I know. And so I was an introvert raised that way. So that was its own challenge. Uh, My brother's also very social. He's the wild one. He is the risk taker right now. He's traveling the world. Going you may like maybe watching
0: this, so be careful what you say. yeah. Saying, he
1: I like he's funny because like uh we're just like oh okay, like he met a nice girl and he's gonna go on a trip with her. We're like cute, that's fine. And then on his Instagram, he's in Japan one day, and now he's in Machu Picchu, and we're just like, What wow. <laughs> for me? Wow. I'm like, that is something I have to plan for like months. I would have told my family this time next year, I'll be in Machu Picchu. But uh, nope, he's just like, we found a good ticket
0: and he just went. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I admire people like that who can just pick up and and do it. So jealous. I'm like, that is so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So the big question then, at what point did you feel like you were different, not just a PK, but there was an extra level or layer somewhere in there? When did that come around?
1: yeah um I talk about my my coming out actually I, I, I compare I'm a, as a therapist right um, to the stages of grief in a way not that like you know everybody needs to have grieved had a grief process but for me I think within Adventism you know we have so much on that you know like your parents you grow up with them saying we're praying for your future wife um, and you just have this expectation. Mm-hmm. I feel that socially, we talked about it so much of like a hetero expectation that it actually took me a long time to even figure out what I was going through was real or not. Um, I can uh, a lot of my things are twenty. like hindsight is 2020 20, right so like I look back and I'm like oh wow okay my, my first iPod was all Lady Gaga and the Grease soundtrack and I've never seen Grease. And so like you know like you look at that you're like okay there was something here but at the time I was like oh okay just like I I, I don't like football like other guys you know and that was it. Um so yeah, looking back, it's tough. Cause I think I was so socially, uh, built that way. I was just always the expectation. I want to be a dad. I want to have kids. I'm going to get married. I'm, you know, we're going to take them to a church like this, you know, kind of thing. Um, I think that was just part of why it took me so long to kind of figure it out. And so in a way I was going through emotions as I was beginning to realize and struggle with these things that I pushed away into denial. And that's why I talk about them in the stages of grief. So around, um, I would say middle school, high school—that end of your latency phase of development again, psychology—and mm-hmm. um, you're starting to like look into your own identity, like who am I? You—that's the age where you know you start becoming uh, more interested in like dating and attraction to other people. Um, and I was finding it was not what everybody else was talking about. So like you know, being super into the girls. I was like, yeah, me too. You know, I'm like, but I'm thinking like romantically in love and like, we're going to get married. And one day I'm be swept off my feet and it's going to be the one, you know, kind of thing. Um, but creeping in, or is this some like little, like, like attraction towards males. And I'm like, okay, well, (laughs) this can't be true. This can't be me. I'm not choosing this. Right. So I'm rejecting it. Um, I think in, you know, my parents, I don't think they they did anything really to be uh, anti-gay or to push me away uh, or anything like that. Um, I don't know when they kind of started figuring it out, but um, most of this like messaging I was getting was from avenue schooling. Um, I think, uh, and I think oh, for a lot of people who have not maybe explored, uh, you know, uh, it, way advanced, but like affirming theology and stuff, like they think that they're doing a favor. Um, mm-hmm. I think at some point, some of the things that my parents had said before I came out, they, in their head, they're doing me a favor by saying, you know, this is something you can turn away from. It's just a temptation um it's just hormones uh it'll go away you know things like that I was hearing that a lot more from school from teachers um especially as I was entering like high school that became a topic of discussion um so I was very much in a denial phase um I was never attracted to any of my friends in particular um but just little things would come up right Um, so that also like helped, you know, I couldn't be like, Oh, I am crushing on him. Like I'm supposed to be crushing on her. You know, that didn't really come up for me either. Um, so (laughs) as I'm like going through that, I just think of myself, I'm this hopeless romantic. I got to find the one they have to be perfect for me rather than just like, you know, falling like a fool or goofball for any old person who gave me attention. right? Right. Um, so I started having girls that were friends, um, in early high school, In the same grade as me, my only guy friend, it was all girlfriends and one guy friend. He actually did come out and had uh, quite the experience being the only out gay person at that school. And that's like, you know, 2007 or 2008. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty early, especially Mm -hmm. for Avenue School systems to kind of deal with that. So he has his own whole story. Um, So that was interesting because I did go through a little bit of this, like, I need to like prove that I'm straight at that same period of time that he was trying to like come out. And I was like purposely saying maybe some homophobic things to like get people off my scent um, that I didn't believe that I regretted. Um, but I would also like memorize NFL stats, like, like the teams who was winning. So like, I could be like, yeah, I'm totally into football, you know, like, <laughs> um, but I also loved Oscars like a lot. And I'll tell you who won last year and the year before. And, wow. <laughs> you know, and, wow. and who I could tell you, I could predict who's getting nominated the next year. Um, so it's just like, I'm well-rounded. Right. So, um, but yeah. Um, and then as far as that friend, I did reach out to him in our, in our twenties and we caught up and he said, he never got that from me that I was being homophobic on purpose. I had this guilt for a long time and I was able to like, talk it out with them. And and he's like, I never noticed that. (laughs) Because I was like, I felt like he couldn't come out because me as a friend was being so homophobic. And Uh he was like, that wasn't even part of my story, man. (laughs) And so I the next year of high school, I became uh, what we call sometimes super ally TM, where it's like, I'm not ready to face it for myself, but I'm going to be the best ally that you've ever had. Right?
0: Right. right. Um,
1: (laughs) And so this enters, um, I don't know what phase I'm on. So I said, Said, uh, let's say depression phase starts coming in because this is the part where I'm starting to be like, okay, this is really becoming more intense. And again, wasn't any of my friends, wasn't him either. But I was noticing this is something that comes up for me. And, you know, I'm not noticing that I'm as obsessed with, uh, you know, um, like as other guys my age are talking about women's bodies and what they like. I'm not as, you know, impressed or I'm not noticing things that they're noticing. And I'm like, it's not going away. What's going on here? So my depression phase starts kicking in. This is where um, I started, like kind of looking into the Bible for myself. Like, why does it say that? Um, even at that time in high school, it was very much that I felt that. Scripture was written in a way, um, you know, of course, historically context, like that God is the first person to do a health message to people that didn't have like a health department like we do in the United States, for example, we don't, they didn't have FDA. So that made sense. Like when you look at the science of like why these animals are considered clean or unclean, why they have to like go outside of the camp if they're sick and things like that, when they don't understand germs or like bloodborne pathogens, Um, you know, and I'm sure there's other criticisms. I'm just like glancing over here, but that made sense for, uh, at the time. And then everything, the Bible made sense to me in a way, either like for your health, physically, emotionally, for your relationships. But the one that didn't make sense to me, because I don't think the Bible gives a clear Uh, context sometimes when it talks about a man with a man, it kind of just gets popped in there, especially when you're looking at like little passages. I was like, so I'd asked my dad about that. And that's where I started exploring like that with him. I'm like, why does God condemn this? If it's like, you know, it's, it's two people who love each other. Like who cares? You know, we're not getting mad at people for not procreating. Cause that was a, an argument against it is that all sex should be procreative, but that's not really something I think Adventists even believe, um, fully, you know, so there's a lot of things going on there. So, um, you know, my dad said that at the same time he was also looking into the Bible for on his own, for his own reasons, uh, for like, you know, people in his church and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, he had no real answer for me. He said, you know, I just think that we can just do the best with what we know. So we just have to go ahead and deal with it that way and just believe that. And so, you know, there was things like that going on. It wasn't really sticking to me. I wasn't really um, like dealing with it well. My mom started asking like, you know, if you were gay, we would still love you. We would just have to like, you know, like in the called celibacy kind of talks. And I just was not ready for my, even myself to agree with that. So what? it started really hitting me over time. Um, that this is happening. Uh, Other people are starting to notice I'm not like other guys and stuff like that. So I'm starting to, the the biggest fear I was having was that I would be the gay kid without being able to say it for myself, without people getting to know me for who I am personally. Um, I still didn't want to accept I was gay. So there was a couple moments where I'd have breakdowns in in public for seemingly no reason to everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one day my dad took me to a park after church because he found me in the parking lot just like weeping (laughs) and he just was like we're not going home until you tell me what's going on um and we were there for like a few hours i think but um i just did not want to tell him there was times where uh, like I had to get, uh, oral surgery and I opted out of like, uh, anesthesia because I was so afraid, like, you know, David after dentist was a very popular video and that kid was going crazy, but there's a lot of videos going out where people like saying weird stuff when they're like woozy afterwards, I opted right. out. I was like just local anesthetic only. And I dealt with the pain because I was so afraid that when I was woozy, I'd accidentally come out. Didn't
0: want to chance that, yeah.
1: Right, and at the same time, I'm like, well, I'm lying to myself, but I'm also knowing that this is happening, right? So a lot of that was going on and it it just took such a a long time with that. Um, I was still very much like, I wanted to be a part of the Adventist church and that is why the depression was there because the biggest part of that to me was that I didn't want to be out of God's favor. I didn't want to be a bad Adventist. Um, I didn't want to be... um, you know, anything other than what I was supposed to be, uh, what I was promised to be. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where that depression was hitting because I didn't want to like leave the church. And I think a lot of people think of if you're LGBT, you're so out of line with what's in the Bible and Christianity and what your um, creed believes that you are automatically leaving the church with that. And that for me was more important that I was part of this community as a church community than it was, you know, if I was with somebody and, and things like that. And mm-hmm. I wasn't getting that from there. So I would try even harder. I would do exactly what they say, like trying to make sure I was doing my daily devotionals. I was praying all the time. I would uh, start the bargaining phase. I'm bargaining to God in my head, like, take this away. And maybe if I ask this girl to the banquet, cause we didn't have dances. Um, if I ask this girl to the banquet, uh, I'll be swept off my feet and then it'll be that it'll make sense. And what they promise, like, you know, the hormones will switch to the right spot. Um, yeah. you know, I was like, worked it out with God. I cried myself to sleep. Um, bargaining phase wasn't working. Depression phase, obviously there's nothing working. And that's when I started going to like college. Um, or I guess in this meantime, I was also like, we joked for a long time in our family that I rebelled by being more conservative than my dad rather than like rebelled by being more wild and like opposite of my dad. Right. Um, Cause you know, at the time my dad's doing this church that's like um reaching out to the unchurched. There was times where like I'd get dressed for church and he'd be like, Ooh, Maybe can you can wear jeans with that, or like maybe like a t-shirt instead. Like, can we dress down? <laughs> like, we down. don't want to make certain people feel like uncomfortable. And that was more in the beginning. Over time, people once they got to know us as the pastors' kids and stuff, like it was different. But um <laughs> he, you know, <laughs> he just wanted to like make people feel welcome by like, if the whole pastor's family is wearing like nice suits, then they're not. Then you know that was his thing. So I'm trying to do the opposite. I'm like, oh, okay we're going to eat out Red Robin with such and such family after church while I'm sitting in the car because I'm an Adventist and we don't make people work on the Sabbath. And my dad was just like, all right, cheaper for us. So (laughs) I would would sit in the car. Um, I would try to like do, you know, actions by works, you know, to get into, you know, this bargaining phase was like, maybe if I can't change this part of me, I can make everything else good enough that like, I'm good enough to get into heaven that I'll be a sheep and not a goat um, as best I can. And that was just like, that was the the torture that i was going through it's like what i was being told and and taught at schools cuz you know we did all these religion classes and world religions and the criticisms of other churches and and other lifestyles and things like that um and, and of course other orientations uh that was something that was talked about frequently and um the only stories i was getting of lgbt people were a lot of ex gay or um people that had other issues like um that it, you know, maybe, and I'm not saying anybody's story is like untrue, but I think that the only story we were being shown was the same one, which is like somebody who may have had childhood trauma experiences, right. somebody who uh, was in uh, other addictions uh, as well, maybe sex addiction, but also like drug and alcohol addiction. They were going to bars. Um, I, at one point as, as a therapist was started out working at um, a recovery center. So I understand addiction a lot more. Some of those substances actually heightened that, um, sex drive. Some people have, and they've done things where they consider themselves straight, but in, in the addiction, they're just not in that right mindset. And it was just, that was the drive. And so I, I have wonders now looking back of like, if that's the only story being told is that, is that actually the only story of gay people? Of course it's not, but, um, I was being told this. So I'm thinking as, as this kid, I'm like, (laughs) I have no, no attraction to wanting to do drugs. I don't want to be a sex addict. I want to be this monogamous the first person I'm with kind of married with kids person. Um, I don't have childhood trauma. I have great relationships with my parents other than this big secret I'm holding uh, that I'm trying to deal with on my own because there's also no room to talk about it without like once it's out of the bag, it's out of the bag. It's out. It, yeah. it doesn't go back in. Um, so then the anger phase is kicking in. So this is when I'm going to college and I
0: started at Andrews University. So before it was it was all academy up until now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So your first uh, college was Andrews? Yeah, my first year of college went to
1: Andrews University. Um, And part of that was, you know, I just felt like I wanted more of a fresh start. And I think the academy I was going to all fit into the same university, which is great. And I'm still friends with a lot of those guys. Um, But I just really wanted a fresh start in a way. Um, So I chose another school. Um, I was also really obsessed with knowing who my roommate was. So I got um, Anthony Leiter, who does another podcast called Seeking What They Sought. Uh, He's one of my best friends. And he and I uh, went to Anderson together, Anderson University together for the first year, and for different reasons, decided not to go back the next year, um, and he went to Walla Walla after that, and I I went to Union College after that, um, but I was so obsessed with, I was like, I don't want to have a weird roommate that's going to do weird pranks or something like that, so I was like, okay, I chose Andrews based on, like, I want to go somewhere else, but with somebody I know, um, and I'm glad I did, because he and I, we still talk to this day about all the great memories, you know, and so at that time, internally, I was having a lot of my anger face come out. So this is the part where I'm like having problems where like my hormones are going away. I'm I'm settling in. It's no longer like a puberty hormones monster. Um, I've dated girls here and there. Uh, it's not really working out with me, and I start getting really mad. I'm mad at Christianity. I'm mad at God. I'm mad at Seventh Day Adventists. And the main thing is, I think. Andrews was going through like a, like a revive or revive style movement at the time. So there was a lot of people my age, just like, you know, catching the spirit and just being really into it using mm-hmm. those really big Christian SDA words all the time. And they were really probably having experience there for the first time on their own. And for me, I'm like, I have been faking what they're talking about. So what they're doing can't be real.
0: right? You know, right.
1: If yeah. it's, <laughs> if what they're doing <laughs> is real, and mine wasn't, then maybe they're faking it too. And then I'm getting angry because I'm like, well, what if they are having that? And I don't. So it's, there's, there's a lot of anger building up in me. Um, you know, I'm considering like leaving the church and being done with it all, you know, like leaving God, things like that. But I can't, I just can never shake that as much as I've considered it. I'm like, I, I there is a God that he's there. I felt him. I, you know, I know that's real. Um, but it, you know, I'm like, obviously I'm not feeling the full connection. So during this time at Andrew's a lot of other things going on of course I'm not studying I'm not doing any homework at the time (laughs) too too much freedom so um I was just like you know watching uh Katy Perry was my considered favorite at the time besides Lady Gaga I'm still a Gaga gay to this day though um just just for the fans to know um but (laughs) but I was very big into Katy Perry Teenage Dream had come out um that was a good album for me and as gay as it gets my coming out story the first part of it comes out because of Katy perry's firework music video wow. um yeah. so this is 2011 the music video is actually it has leaked on the internet it's on a, a mexican website it's from mexico not just spanish but mm-hmm. um it's leaked and so i'm like really excited i'm showing everybody nobody cares as much as me obviously <laughs> um anthony was into like post-hardcore like uh, screamo music but not devil screamo I have to, you know, say that too. Um, <laughs> that. <No. Okay. laughs> but yeah, um, and I think most of it's not Devil's Scream, actually. So anyways, but Katy Perry, I'm like, do this. Nobody cares but me. So I'm watching this. I'm like, watch this video over and over and over. In this music video, it's about like finding your self-worth in a way. Um, she shows herself singing. Of course, a lot of little mini stories going on as people find that, like, that appreciation for themselves um, in some way, sparks start flying from their heart. Um, And like some of them are strange and some of them make more sense than others, but there is one point of, there's a boy who's standing in, I guess, a dance club He's looking unhappy He uh, throughout the video. And finally, it cuts to his moment where he starts getting sparks and he kind of just marches across the room and finds this boy who's dancing and they kiss and dance together and the sparks are flying out of them. And I realize I'm watching this over and over and over because of that scene specifically. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's the freedom that I want. And mm-hmm. I'm, I haven't to this point found a way to have it both ways. I can't you know, be this Adventist person, be this like, perfect pastor's kid, Andrew's university revived style. I don't know. I can't be that person when I'm struggling with something so hardcore that it's actually being a barrier. Um, and in that moment, I just prayed uh, alone in my dorm room. I prayed and asked God, you know, I said, you know, I know there's only two people I can never lie to. And that's, that's you. And that's me. Um, and mm, so good, I, I you know. said, you know, I just, prayed to God. I said, listen, I've read the verses. I've done all these Bible classes. I know you love everybody no matter what. And if this is a sin um, we're just gonna have to come to some sort of agreement because as I understand, all these sins are equal. Um, I don't believe it's sin now, of course, but um, I was like, you know, if if we're hearing stories where pastors are talking about like serial killers on death row, repenting and getting into heaven, then how could this not be something if I'm making sure that this is going to be something that would be about love, about uh, mutual respect and about, you know, um, consent, of course, and all these things that I didn't really find in the idea of, uh this you know what what the vision of the gay community was from our perspective at the time in our conversations and i just said you know god i uh, i came out as bisexual at the time i consider myself gay now but I, I said it i was like god i'm bisexual like guys and physically i felt like a like it was the weirdest thing like they say it it's it, not exaggerated weight come off my shoulders mm-hmm. this like physical feeling i describe as peace hit me like 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 a tingle from the top of my head to my toes Wow. Um, And that is where I say, you know, me and God's relationship really, truly got close and we really started. It was the moment where it wasn't just, um, you know, the being raised at Seventh-day Adventist child or pastor's son. um, It became the moment that me and God are close because I'm finally honest with him. And if Mm -hmm. I can be honest with him, then we can actually get close. The barrier that is there was between me and God because I wouldn't let myself face this. And so I just Mm -hmm. kind of started getting this feeling that, you know, maybe this is part of the plan. Um, And honestly, that is, I I believe what I found, I found moments where, had I not been um, LGBT in the community, uh, there are moments where, like, clients I've had, I probably couldn't have reached out to on a personal level that way. Um, you know, giving them that. Uh, uh, people I knew who were struggling with themselves, um, <laughs> I could only do because I was like slowly coming out to them and we were able to discuss that. But in a way too, I think uh, the, the most interesting thing about being a Seventh-day Adventist Christian um, that still, you know, attends church is that in the gay community and even, even people are like gay supporters who are not as deeply in the Adventist church, they actually are rooting for me to leave the church because to them what they've experienced is that, you know, it's like, I'm still dating somebody who's abused every single one of the other friends. I'm dating an abuser. That's, that's the vision that they have, Mm -hmm. that a church is eventually going to abuse me. They're going to hurt me, a person that they care about and love. Um, and so they're just like, you need to go, you need to leave. Obviously they're never going to come around. They're never going to support you. You're going to always like be wanting. Um, but for me, you know, seventh day baptism, it's not just, uh, my like special brand of church. It is a culture. I was raised deep cut Adventist. Um, everybody I knew who wasn't an Adventist at least had a lot of information about Adventism growing up. It wasn't until I was like in my mid twenties out here in Loma Linda that I was even meeting people I hadn't even heard of Adventism. Mm-hmm. It's so mm-hmm. deeply ingrained in me um, that like I, it it's like leaving a whole culture behind. It's leaving, um, you know, a, a big part of my identity, not just my religious identity behind. So, you know, I've had people, you know, that go to say a LGBT supportive like say Presbyterian church and like why don't you go here look at all the pride flags and you know it's safe and you know it's this and I'm like but that's not how I experience God and I like to worship but it's just it's such a culture shock in that way to like do that um, yeah. Adventism, you know, I think they've always strived to teach us. It is more than just one day a week, even though we talk about the Sabbath so special. Um, it is our lifestyle. It's part of who we are in a deep, mm-hmm. deep level. And I, I definitely feel that. And I feel that ultimately I can't help the Adventist church and I can't help make it better, leave it be- better for the, the children after me who are going through these things. If I leave it, if I'm not part of this, then I can't make the change because who's going to listen to like ex Adventist or atheist to like help change church policy. Right. So um, another part of what I've been finding, especially this year is, is my calling of just being that like, you know, seventh day Adventist (laughs) blooded boy that is, is gay, couldn't escape it, but still loves God, still loves the church. And I think for my parents, when I came out to them and that was hard Um, that's what they said is that until that moment that I was like, I'd sent a letter that they read that about my, my coming out story with it being very spiritual with God, that they had just never even considered twice or once or anything that you could be gay and Christian, that you could be gay and love God. And that they realized was what Mm -hmm. they were more afraid of when they'd say certain things that they felt was like doing me a favor, like, oh yeah, I'll grow this, or you can choose, or maybe like this, you know, kind of thing. Um, before I came out to them, they were like hinting, you know, um, but they said that was the moment they realized that's what they cared about was that it was about my relationship with God, uh, more so than like if I brought home uh, a boy, you know, it was mm-hmm. more about that. And then they said that what hurt them is that they felt like, you know, realizing how much, how much time had gone by where I was probably struggling with this alone. And so that was, that's what hurt them the most. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't blame them at all. Like, you know, I don't, I don't see that, you know, of course coming out stories are very personal, especially in those early days. Like you have to really come to terms yourself, build up your own confidence, test the waters of coming out with a few close friends and a few more, and then your family and then the world, you know, kind of thing. And that's part of the coming out experience for everybody. Um, So, I mean, at least a part of that would be me keeping it a secret, right? Because Mm -hmm. again, once it's out of the bag, it's out of the bag. Um, and I wasn't ready to even consider what my life might be like once that happens. And so, cause I wasn't ready to consider that I wasn't going to get this promised, uh, future wife, future kids, you know, um, growing up at Adventist church, helping out with create a role with our own children, yeah. you know, like, right. um, that didn't, that didn't always happen for me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. but I think what I have now, I'm so proud of, so, so happy and so grateful, Um, that I even have come this full circle where I'm actually like starting to talk to Adventist churches and pastors and things about what my experience is like, because um, it's frankly, it's not a conversation that's being had in the church. And the longer we don't think about it, the longer we don't realize there are other people who leave because there weren't conversation. Um, There weren't options, you know? Um, And so we're creating the unchurched right now. We are creating the unchurched LGBT and, and worse, you know, the the ones that want to harm themselves or or in mm-hmm. their lives over this, you know, because yep. they can't consider a world where they have to come out and then be rejected by their culture, their church too. Um, right, right. And so I'm I'm trying to do my best, you know, just
0: just spread that news. Uh, <laughs> and I'm very proud of you. That I think that's 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 what we need. That's mm-hmm. what we need in the church. Uh, so you sent a letter. That was your way of coming out, right?
1: Yeah, that was really interesting too. So. Um, there was at, uh, at the college that union, they were considering uh, having a task force about like, should we change policy on LGBT? And this is like 2014. Um, like, what should we do? Because they're realizing this is coming up more and more. Um, there was a point where uh, I was doing the secret underground gay straight alliance that was not approved by the school. And that's another yep. thing I look back on and I'm like, I can't believe I did that in Nebraska, Red State, um, even though same-sex marriage had passed into law, um that that they could happen in any state they could still you could still be fired for being lgbt if you're uh you know your boss doesn't believe in that mm-hmm. um and of course then it's a religious institution so they have another reason if they wanted to let me go they could so i wasn't i was trying not to be poster boy was my kind of thing with that um <laughs> yeah we had like the the tiers the levels so we had like the the education group that was like, you know, if they let us, we'll come and like teach about this. We had the LGBT and allies, and then we had the because we had a lot of in-the-closet LGBT, we called it the Lux group, um, because that sounded fancy. And I was in charge of Lux group meetings. Um, (laughs) and So so we tried to do that, but yeah. So at the time they were talking about doing a task force. Uh, There was a lot of alumni that were more out, more the face of it. Um, And they were asking, can we have somebody who is a student that could come in and talk about that? And they said, yes, but it has to be a current student. We don't want just alumni coming in. Like we want that like kind of thing, but we want to know their identity first and just kind of see what it is. I don't know how nefarious or not nefarious that was, but they that was what they said. And I was like, okay. So being connected to Union College, my dad went there. My parents built, uh, built a church there later when I was a kid. Even before that, my aunt, uh, uncle, uh, grandparents, great-grandparents all went to Union College. So there was a lot of people that knew my family. So I was like, if I do this, I really want it to come from me. Uh, so I was planning to come out at the end of my college and before my graduate program um just in case my parents like had some hard times dealing with it and that would be more on my own for a while and I always knew they'd come around but I didn't expect them to be like 100% like day 1 like okay cool you know um we're just sad that you couldn't tell us sooner and and we're so proud of you still and like we don't care we just love that you love God um that was like their reaction but I did it via a letter because I was like how am I going to do this and so I came out to my siblings like like just one after the other real quick mm. just to be like what do you think uh and I came up to my brother first because he was the more wild one he was the one that had gotten into trouble more than uh, us in different ways <laughs> I got in trouble for not doing homework and stuff of course but um and being the bossy older brother who you know tortured his siblings and there's plenty of other reasons my siblings would come on here and tell you about but um yeah That's I was a future just like, episode yeah okay for sure <laughs> let's do it uh, but yeah so my siblings were like very, uh, very open to it right away too. Um, but I told my brother first and I know my sister felt betrayed. I told him first cause she always felt like, you know, she's in the middle. She'd been told first. And I was like, okay. I just did him cause I needed to write this letter right away. I was like, what is your advice? First thing he's like, do it in a letter and send it to mom. And then mom can tell dad. And I was like, cool. All right, cool. Cause he'd been into trouble before. So, so. were
0: they surprised? your, um, your
1: siblings? My sister was surprised. She just never even thought, you know, um, my brother was not, um, he had discovered some nefarious, uh, Things on my computer, and I tried to blame them on something else. And he was just okay. like, Okay, he's not ready. Um, <laughs> and so he was like, Okay, I'm waiting for this to happen, you know. And and the first thing he did is he gets his Bible off his top shelf and he's opening up. And this is why in the Bible it's like he's trying to teach me affirming theology, mm. which at the time I'd found different pieces of that on the internet, which is now I think, uh, perfectly put together by um, Alicia Johnston in her new yep. book that's coming out exactly uh, LGBT Adventists. Uh, I, Don't have it next to me. I don't know if that's what's called Um, the Bible and LGBT Adventist. I think. Right. right. Um, So yeah, like that. Look out for that book. But yeah, he was like trying to do that, and I was like, I mean, whoa, you know. But um, yeah. So he they were really supportive right away. Um, My brother not surprised my sister a little bit. Um, They still love me all the same. Love all the people I've I've dated and things like that. Um, Either way. So I mean, it was really supportive family. It just happened that way. And I sent it to my mom before one of my finals at Christmas time. So right before I came home for Christmas, I sent it to mom. I said, I got a letter for you and dad, but I figured my mom would probably read it before my dad. So if my dad was going to freak out, she could be there with him and I wouldn't be there in person to like uh-huh. maybe hear the, the initial reactions that maybe they'd regret later and they could discuss together because they, they love communicating. Um, and then they'd call me. And so of course they were immediately on the same page and they were like, it's cool. And I was like, no way, I'm the luckiest kid on earth. And this is not the story of all LGBT Adventists, right, LGBT right. Christians, definitely not the story of all LGBT pastors kids. Um, I know another LGBT pastors kid who also did the letter And he had suggested that to me for that same reason that his dad had said some things that his sister or his mom had referenced, uh, were hurt, would have been really hurtful and damaging, um, that maybe his dad doesn't think that way now. Um, but just in the moment, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's not the story of everybody. So I've been very lucky, um, in a way I think, um, you know, God puts us in the right places, uh, you know, to help out. I, I feel like, Um, it's unfair because I think everybody should be protected. So I don't think God's not protecting other people. I feel like he protected me from a lot of other traumas to prepare me for what I needed to do later on. So in the same way of being like a therapist, I feel like if I had my own personal traumas were um, not that, you know, if you have traumas, you can't be a therapist, but there's times where I can really dive into some real deep crisis and trauma work because I, I can leave myself at the door. Um, Mm. And it doesn't affect me personally. Whereas there's other things like, you know, if I'm dealing with kids that are not doing homework in high school, instant, that's the transference for me. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I think the same way of being LGBT um, and not being immediately cast out of the church um, is a way to show me that we are at a place where I think we can begin bridging these gaps And I believe that fully with my heart. You can't convince me that, you know, root for me to leave the church because I'm not going to uh, because I haven't experienced that. And in a way, I think, you know, my dad's church is 24-7, reaching out to the unchurched and like really going back to basics, what is the love and what is the beliefs and stuff of Adventism besides all the things that we take for granted at the top level, like, well, if you're not wearing the right tie or something, um, that makes me believe that you know, you can find your church community anywhere and not, no two church communities are going to be the same. They're not going to be right for, fit for everybody. But I think that there are communities that are willing and ready and already are taking in a lot of LGBT and, and loving them the way they're supposed to. Um, and some places unfortunately aren't, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that burns your bridge for all Seventh-day Adventist churches or all, all, your,
0: all relationships with God in a way. Um, and that, yeah, that's just how I see it. Cool, cool excellent excellent so yeah it's been smooth sailing ever since coming out I mean, you, um, sweated, you sweated <laughs> about coming out I know yeah you yeah. sent the letter you were it was like no big deal
1: <laughs> <laughs> um it definitely was interesting uh so like I came out bisexual um I was definitely gung-ho bisexual is a real identity there are there are criticisms both within and outside of the lgbt community that it's not or maybe it's just a stepping stone and i was like it is not a stepping stone it is real it is 100 percent. i still believe that to this day but there was just a moment where like once i finally like started actually dating guys and like seeing them it was just that that sweeping off the feet moment happened i was like oh
0: oh it's just
1: this uh, right, right. And which was just like tail between my legs, like kind of kept it to myself. I don't want all those I told you so's from my gay friends or from, you know, other people. Uh, sure. um, so finally, I was just like, "All right, I mean, better now than never. Right. So I was just like, you know, um, my boyfriend, when I met him he was struggling with this idea because he didn't understand he thought it was gay or straight he was like where do I fit um and I taught him about bisexuality and things like that and then by our like our fourth date or something I had given him my bisexual flags and he's like oh well don't you need one and I was like nah I'm just gay and he still laughs about that to this day <laughs> he's like really and I'm like yeah I'm just gonna go ahead and you know I've talked to you about bisexuality pansexuality as a spectrum so much that I'm like no nah, I'm definitely over on this end um my friend Anthony and I have talked about it. He told me he's like, you know, every time we talk about you being LGBT and you bring up that Kinsey scale, you're one number different every time I would talk to you. Like <laughs> so I was like, maybe I'm a two and then it was three, then it was four, and now I'm like, oh, I'm a six, I'm over here, you know. Um it's I think a sliding that- scale. Yeah, I think, it, and I think it can be fluid over a lifetime too. I don't yeah. think it means that you're choosing it to be fluid. That's for sure. Right. Um, but it, I think, um, I don't think I didn't love the, the women that I've dated um, or girls in, in school um, either. I think that there's like the romantic attraction I think happened. Um, but yeah, when it was with guys, I was like, oh, this is what i was always hoping for and yeah, just yeah. clicked it all know? made sense right yeah. and then like yeah. silly mistakes too right just like oh okay this was not a good match for me but i was <laughs> swept off my feet you know um yeah. didn't really happen with girls definitely happens more with guys so i mean yeah. it just made sense for me that way so
0: you kind of came out twice you came out first as bisexual and then yeah. it was like okay that didn't make a big enough splash let's try this again and and come out as gay
1: yeah no and it definitely uh it definitely was uh helpful to come out as gay like fully to my parents you know because yeah. my mom still was finding i found the perfect girl for you you know kind of thing right. I, right. there was like a long period of time where i was like i you know i told them bisexual a couple years ago but uh... I don't think I could date girls now. Like, I don't think right. that's a thing, but I just didn't want to say anything. Um, so these poor girls, my mom's like, I have the perfect child for you. And you know, like that. Yeah. But um, she doesn't talk like that. She's really cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. But cool. she always listens to these podcasts and goes, how dare you say that about me? I'm cool. So,
0: <laughs> great. Great. Um, so, yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to ask a, a personal question here. Please do. Um, and that is, why do you think you're gay is the question? And then I'm going to preface it with uh, there are ministries within the, Ad, or supported by the Adventist church that feel that people are gay because they had a smothering mother or a distant father or mm-hmm. uncle that abused them at some point And, you know, they may not even remember it, but somehow this is in the back of their mind and that's why they're gay. So do you give any of that any credence or what do you feel about why people are are gay lesbian bi yeah. whatever
1: <clears throat> uh yeah why am i gay dang i mean if it was my choice like obviously i was doing all the right things that i was told to do to make sure this would not end up this way i did all yeah. you know whatever i was taught um so i don't think it was a choice um <clears throat> i know there's uh, of course like different research out there it's not showing that you know um that, you know, just like trauma makes you gay per se, things like that. Um, there's some research that's suggesting that there's biological reasons, um, genetics. Um, I know we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, like the youngest brother of brothers, more likely they're finding a correlation there, not necessarily causation, of course, you right. know, opposite in our family, like, you know, me and my brother, are very opposite in these ways. Um, and mm-hmm. so he's the youngest and I'm the oldest. And so it's just, it's, it's interesting how that happens. Um, you know, I think when we look at, uh, we look at like why we're gay I you know I think biologically they talk about like having somebody who maybe isn't attracted to women or like maybe attracted to men like in like say tribalism they talk about that being maybe that the benefit of that is that there's more adults to help care for children because generally people were having more children than there were parents of themselves Mm -hmm. you know so it's like the extra uh, uncles that can come and help out that's like one theory um there's other theories of like uh biologically there's um like you know like the more children you're having the you know uh different hormones can affect you in the womb um, or that, you know, partway through, uh, you know, as as you're in the womb, like uh, something switches by accident. I don't know, there's a lot of stuff like that. I'm not a doctor, Um, (laughs) but there's a lot of things. But as far as like, why am I gay? Why would God call me to be gay? I think um, in a major way, I see it as as gay, bisexual, lesbian, uh, pansexual, transgender, queer in general, the whole umbrella this is a community that has been ostracized. It's been cast out. It's been othered so much in history, um, especially that it, it's not a ministry that is easily taken on to reach out to these people who are, um, you know, their only experience of, of God through Christians is a very negative one. Um, and so if I can be another, another person that, brings a positivity to that. Um, maybe that's what I'm called for. Uh, if I can bring like, you know, permission for a gay person um, like me to have still have a relationship with God, despite not having a church family to do that with. Um, mm-hmm. In therapy, we talk about with people who are LGBT. Uh, a lot of times we talk about having that family of choice rather than the, the family of origin. So that meaning like maybe your biological family cannot be there to be supportive or meet your needs anymore um, by their choice, uh, that they did that. Uh, maybe they cast you out, maybe they, you know, don't build that like supportive, healthy relationship with you. But we can always find, no matter who you are, even if you have a good family of origin, you can find a family of choice. These are people you surround yourself with that are supportive and are loving and are hopeful. And in a way, I think because in church, we kind of like wrap up the topic as like, Oh, it's clear. There's the seven to 12 verses here, um, that we read this way. And it's clear, let's just shut the book. You're not gay. It's not a real thing. If it is is, you're celibate, you know, and it's just, there's not really a conversation beyond that. Um, because that's not what people feel. And that's what people are struggling with. They like me, maybe that want to do this all the right way that I'm being taught, but it's not clicking for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not, um, it's not, (laughs) it's not what we can uh, handle, you know, in a way um, to just like, you know, be promised. I think um, Alicia Johnston on the recent episode of Seeking What They Saw talked and she talked about that, like that promise that, you know, uh, if you're asking somebody to be celibate, Um, the promise that they would have had somebody that would love them no matter what and be with them no matter what is taken away so what is filling that gap what is put in that space are we bringing in people that are say like celibate for example are we promising that that's going to happen but in reality i think even even for people who would maybe choose that i think there's still a lot of biases um lack of education of how to um you know, interact and treat and think about this in a different way. There's, you know, if somebody is like more feminine as a man or more masculine as a woman, they're seen as less than, especially in uh, our, our church culture. I think because we don't educate or talk about it, it comes out, unfortunately, just like the more natural conclusion we are on that side. And so even if somebody was like, well, I'm gay, but I'm not going to date somebody, I think that they may have experienced um, some negativity. Um, And ultimately, I think at the end of the day, it deserves conversation, whether, whether somebody comes out to the accepted theology, or an affirmative theology. um, I think that we don't have the conversation, we don't leave the space there. Um, There's also the belief that, you know, well, nobody here has told me they're gay, so nobody's gay. And I don't think that's true, either, obviously, because coming out is such an experience um, that it's it's why would I tell somebody if if I'm risking that if it's not a safe space? yeah, Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so as far as that, I feel like there is, I think there's a calling, you in, in a way that, you know, God put me here to be that person. I can be strong for some people and, and, you know, and stand up for some people in a way that other people are not ready for. Um, maybe not even ready to even have done a similar podcast as, you know, me on this yeah. one, you know, cause that right, would just right. be really traumatic to go into their past that way. Um, and, I, if I can just be a, a tiny one piece of their story of like stepping out, that's amazing. Just like, you know, maybe movies like seventh Gavin were like that for me. Um, one small piece of my coming out, I don't always talk about that in my coming out story, but it was very influential, you know, and maybe I can be that person for somebody else, um, right, right. you know, finding their, their piece.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you and, and hearing your story. Um, So if there is a young or old person out there, Adventist, who uh, is is saying, should I come out? Should I not come out? Uh, What should I do? What is your piece of advice for them?
1: Uh, My advice for that, you know, we have to consider safety first. I know that coming out is just like, you know, a lot of people, especially like, right now, I live in Southern California. It's very liberal, very progressive. There's a lot of LGBT out here, um, even in Adventist churches. Maybe somebody doesn't agree, but they just keep singing alongside them, right? Um, But that's different than other areas. So we have to consider safety. Um, So, you know, I tell it to kids too, is that like, you know, it's great. It's awesome that you're finding this and and finding this in your identity. Um, But if you're not in a place that's safe then maybe it's not the way to come out, and so maybe it just find that way to find safety, find that family of choice. Um, if you can feel supported, that's that's where you can come out. Um, I always describe coming out is like a Schrodinger's box of unconditional love. And so of course Schrodinger's box is a, a theory that, you know, um, if if he puts like poison and a cat in a box and he closes the box, you don't know if the cat's dead or alive until you open it. But then once you open it, you know, for sure. So did you really kill the cat if the cat is dead? Because otherwise you wouldn't have known, you know, it's a whole philosophy thing. Um, but Schrodinger's box is like, if I, If I continue living like this, I have to live with this pressure on my shoulders. I have to, you know, fake parts of of my life and try to be authentic in others. Um, and then nobody knows. And it can stay the same for a long time or it might get worse emotionally. Who knows? But then coming out is like once that box is open, it is open. And I don't know if on the other side of that box I open it and the unconditional love now had that condition and it stops. It's too late. I've already come out. It's over. That's a big risk to take, um, or I could open it. And I do get that love and respect. And I get that ultimate, um, affirmation of myself, my identity and my place in the family and my place in the friendship, um, because I did come out and it's better than if I had kept the box shut, but it's hard because if it is more likely that the risk is huge, it's, it's tough to say that you should come out. Um, if you have the opportunity to come out and you do feel safe, I think that's great too, because the more visible we are, the better. And I say that in the sense of like, Um, There is one image of LGBT and that's maybe this like, uh, you know, sex crazy people or like wearing scantily clad clothing and so we just assume that if you're gay you're going to be this complete opposite from this like Christian family life, not that your clothing is is going to mean that you're bad gay or something. But um, there's that idea that you will become that. But when people start seeing like the person wearing the cardigan at church uh, who sings at you know, in the choir and and things like that, and they're just like the sweetest guy that you've ever known and they come out and they're, you know, just like, hey, like, you know, you can't talk like that, you know, because um, that could hurt somebody else. There could be kids struggling with that, like, you know. That having more voices like that is important because a lot of times the assumption is that because there's no gay people, it's not an issue that we deal with in this church. Let's not have that conversation at all. And it's causing problems for, you know, the people that there are. And again, safety is going to be the number one concern. Um, other than that, find your safety, find your love and find your support and then you can come out and be happy.
0: Yeah, very very uh good words of wisdom there and coming out (laughs) has definitely worked for you and uh i encourage other people and uh you know if if people are needing someone to talk to i think that's that's an important part is is having someone to talk to Mm -hmm. and uh so so yeah so i look forward to having you on again real soon all right so uh so we're gonna conclude today with uh with my thanks for sharing with us today. We hope that today's podcast was interesting and has given our listeners some things to think about. Seventh-day so Adventist Kinship is the only LGBTQIA plus affirming community for current and former Adventists and we welcome not only the Rainbow Alphabet members but also parents and family members who want to learn more about how to support their loved ones as well as supportive allies who stand with us already and make a difference in our church and our world. You can check us out on the web at sdakinship.org or follow us on social media at SDA Kinship. If you have any questions uh, or comments, you can email me, info at sdakinship.org. And if you have anything for Jordan, I'll be happy to pass that on to him. And uh, we look forward to having you with us on the next podcast release with Jordan, (laughs) and tells uh, an additional story for us. So take care. Remember that God loves you unconditionally. See you next time.